Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Today is Dr. Bernie S. Siegel, and our topic today is Finding Thanksgiving After Loss. Dr. Bernie Siegel, who prefers to be called Bernie, was born in Brooklyn, New York. He attended Colgate University and Cornell University Medical College, where he graduated with honors. His surgical training took place at Yale New Haven Hospital, West Haven Veterans Hospital, and the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. He is a former president of the American Holistic Medicine Association. In 1989, he retired from the practice of general and pediatric surgery to travel around the world, speaking to patients and their caregivers. His latest book is Buddy's Candle, a book for children dealing with loss. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Hi, thank you. I've already thought about what will fill up the hour, so I have to come back again for the next hour. Very good, I love it. Listening to the two of you. Can I start? Yes, go. Absolutely, Bernie. One was a Buddhist story, you know, in which a man has a horrible life, great loss, and he goes to a guru and says, how can I handle this? And she says, just keep repeating all day long, thank you for everything, I have no complaint whatsoever. <laughs> and he does that for a year, comes back, he says, I don't know, it hasn't made much difference. And she, he, what shall I do now? He, and she says the same thing, go home and every few hours say thank you for everything, I have no complaint whatsoever. And he finally really realizes that it's up to him, and he finds enlightenment. But I have found that literally saying that to myself at difficult moments does change me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it literally changes my chemistry. Or even laughing. I mean, I know this may sound absurd to you if you say I've had a loss and I'm depressed, and, but just laugh at nothing. I mean, you don't have to find something funny. And you will find... And just practice that sound, right? Yeah, you feel better, and and the people around you start smiling and laughing, and they don't know why you're laughing, but it's contagious. And again, you change your chemistry. So, you know, we have choices. Absolutely, Bernie. In fact, a couple years ago, they had a laughter workshop at Compassionate Friends, and the only thing people did was to go in and laugh. There was no word said. And they said that workshop alone made such a significant yes. shift in the way they felt. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I've been at those, too, where I've gotten out of control laughing. <laughs> and, <laughs> you, you, know, you, have, you know that there's nothing to laugh at, you know right. what I mean? And yet your body has just taken over and doesn't stop. And your body doesn't exactly know. <clears throat> yeah, and the, the other was a line, you see, it's partly what you've done. Um, out of your loss, you've created this program and are helping others. Well, you know what it suddenly jumps back? Um, you know, the book, uh, when, when Bad Things Happen to Good People, like Kushner? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, in a sense, I wrote to him saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a good thing, your son died. You've written a book that's helped millions of people. You know, mm-hmm. now, you know, I know that you'd say, well, how could you say that to him? But ultimately, it, it isn't a bad thing, because look what he did with it, and right. that you're doing with it. So, you know... I grew up with a mother, you couldn't label anything bad uh, because they were God's redirections and something good will come of this. And I think that's what you've done. <laughs> I like but God. the other is, God's redirection. You, the, the, when you go to the supermarket, having had a child die or a loved one die or even your pet die, people don't know that. Right. But right. 
you go to the supermarket with a bandage over your eye or your arm or leg or sit in a wheelchair, and people look and say, oh, you're wounded, and they'll mm-hmm. talk to you. And I mean this literally, and I always recommend it to people. Go to work with a bandage over your eye, and people you've worked with for 20 years will tell you things they've never told you before about their wounds. Mm-hmm. And Thornton Wilder wrote a story called The Pool at Bethesda. You go to the pool. If you are there when the angel is there, you get into the water. The angel troubles the waters, and you're healed. And a doctor keeps going because he's got all kinds of troubles. And one day, oh, boy, I'm lucky. The angel's here. So he heads for the water, but the angel gets in his way and says, no, not you. You draw back. He says, wait a minute. I may be a doctor, but i got troubles, too. <laughs> and the angel says, without your wound, where would your power be? your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love service, only the wounded soldier can serve. Draw back. And the doctor turns and starts home all depressed. But on the way home, everybody's opening their doors yelling, Doctor, come into my house. My daughter only talks to you. Doctor, my son's sitting in the dark. And he'll only come out to talk to you. And, you know, after a few houses, he realizes that if he weren't wounded, he wouldn't be helping all these people. And I have to add also that would you rather die first and not have the pain? I mean, think of living to be 100 and outliving children, uh, you right. know, spouse, loved ones, pets, neighbors. Uh, yeah, it's painful. And so a lot of times... When I've worked with 90-year-olds as a doctor, I tell them, come to our support groups because you'll be a therapist. And one lady, (laughs) uh, this just popped into my head, we're sitting in the room and everybody's talking what they're afraid of. All these fears are getting overwhelming. I I can't handle it anymore. So I turned to her. She's in her 90s, sitting there quietly, and I said, what are you afraid of? And there's dead silence. And the minutes go by. And after several minutes, she said, oh, I know. I said, what is it? She said, driving on the parkway at night. (laughs) And, you know, she had lived through everything. And suddenly, you see, we're all laughing, realizing, okay, we can handle it. Yeah, you get, get, that's one thing I always hear from bereaved parents is that you do lose your fear, which, and and people go out and try things like we're doing. I mean, I never thought I was going to do an Internet radio show and Heidi would be my co-host. And you do um, get some courage to do things. You know, you were talking about recognizing um, people don't recognize loss. I think that was one of the benefits in the old country when people wore black, don't you? And they wore it for a while. Yes, but, you know, that's part of why I wrote that book, Buddy's Candle, because when my dad died, um, you know, the doctor in me is feeling guilty. I wish I could have done more. And and, and I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is wear black every day to remind me that I'm here for a limited time. But then I began to think, this is sick. You're going to get dressed in black every day. <laughs> What's your father? You know, if your father showed up, what would he say? Hey, son, lighten up, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and live. And, and mm-hmm. that's when it really struck me that, yes, I, I want people to accept their mortality and that they will experience loss, but that's why you ought to have a nice day, if you know what I mean. Go out and enjoy the day because who knows? When it's your last day. But, 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 Bernie, I think what's hard for a lot of our listeners is when their children die before them. Yes. Because they feel like that's not the way it's supposed to be in right. life, and maybe I don't even want to go on anymore because my child has actually died before me. Yeah. 
But well, that's why would I would you... say if your child showed up and why that symbol, you see, mm-hmm. if your child showed up, what are they going to say? Right. Yes, be depressed so I know you love me. Uh, you know, kill right. yourself. Uh, <clears throat> no, they're going to say, look, lighten up, enjoy the day. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was the symbol in the book, you know, that if every child in heaven is carrying a beautiful candle and you find your child with a dark candle and go over and say, oh, let me light it for you. And they say, they do, but your tears keep putting it out. Uh, Yeah, this is a wonderful book. I I like that, Bernie. It just helped me let go of the black, you know. Well, and and this is another true story. Uh, When one of our, I mean, we always had a house full of pets. One of the dogs died. And I'm every day looking for a rock to put on his grave because I bury everybody in our yard. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm building a monument. And then I thought one day, you know, this is crazy. I'm looking for a rock every day. Why don't I bring him a flower? Mm. And, and I just felt the change in me. You know, then every morning I'm going out looking for a beautiful flower to bring to him, not mm. a rock. And I think that's the same message, you know, that what your loved one wants you to look for is the flower, is the rock. You know, not the rock, but right. to live. Um, mm-hmm. There's another... Up in heaven, there are a lot of plaques behind God's desk. And I know this from being on the board of directors as a consultant. And when one of them says, if you go around saying, I've got a miserable life, I'll show you what miserable really is. And if you go around saying, I've got a wonderful life, I'll show you what wonderful really is. So we're the ones deciding. And I may say, it doesn't matter if you're 90 and your son is 70 and dies. You know, outliving your child is painful. I've seen it in our family. One of my sister's children died, and, yeah, it's painful to put your Mm -hmm. child in a grave. Um, Mm -hmm. But, again, you know, what is life about? I'd say find, in a sense, other children and keep, you know, reparenting and uh, finding reasons for being here. Well, we've got a call-in. Could we have that call-in with Neil? Hi, Neil. Hi. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Thanks for I'm calling in. Really well. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. Did you have a question or a thought for uh, Dr. Siegel? Yes. Um, this is the uh, first Thanksgiving that we're having without my grandmother, who is uh, in her 90s and passed away. And uh, we've been, um, like, you know, I've been at Thanksgiving dinner with her every single year for my just about my entire life. And it's one of those things where I don't want to ignore it. And I think, as as Dr. Siegel was saying earlier, I don't want to wallow in it. But I'm just wondering, at that dinner table or on the day, what is it that you might suggest that we do to try to, um, you know, include her memory or or in some way honor her um, without turning it into something really, yeah. you know, negative or a downer? Well, I'll tell you a wonderful way. Um, my father died laughing, and I mean that literally, because of stories my mother was telling. I mean, to, to give you one punchline, she said that uh, boys were walking down the beach, toss coins to see who would get the girl she was sitting with who had a bad reputation. Mm. And she said, your father lost and got me. Mm. And so their first date was because he lost the coin toss and had to take her out. And from then on, it, it got more and more crazy, and he died laughing at those stories. So my first comment would be is have a chair for your grandmother. You know, nobody has to sit in it. You can put her picture in it if you want to. And then 
you ought to have a moment where you say to everybody, let's all tell a story. What do we remember about Grandma? And, mm-hmm. you know, the stories, I hope that she was enough of a character that you've got some, you know, Definitely. humorous stories to tell of things she may have done or said. And mm-hmm. by the time you get around the table, everybody will be smiling and having warm memories. The other is, look for a sign. I know this sounds crazy, but consciousness does not end with the body. So when my mother died, um, I, I always looked for pennies, okay? Uh, and the, the great-grandchildren, were because she was in her 90s too, were calling them pennies from heaven. And literally, I found 36 pennies going up and back in our driveway and around the house that I couldn't explain being there, meaning I'd walk to the mailbox and on the way back, see pennies that I didn't see on the way down. So, You know, I read about that in your book, uh, one of your books, uh, Bernie, and I was so fascinated because I was telling Heidi, because I find dimes. Yeah. She does, in the weirdest places. Yeah, that's a number of wholeness, too. The ten is is about creation. From the nothing comes the one. So the one and the zero are about all kinds of relationships. The one, two, three, four, add up to ten. It's a very also meaningful number. I was thinking of one other thing. We were sitting in a cancer support group. The woman was telling us how her daughter loved birds and she was murdered. And at another daughter's outdoor wedding, a bird interrupted the wedding and everybody said, it's your daughter. Well, guess what flies in an open window at that moment? A A bird. bird. Yeah. Now, I've sat in that room for six years, you know. No bird has ever come in the window, boom, at that moment. And it's really mystical and eerie. And whether you believe or not, but if you want, I'd say look for a sign. Um, mm-hmm. and another friend last night was telling me that one of her children died and a rainbow was very meaningful. And uh, on an anniversary of the child's death, um, the mother said, gee, I didn't see any rainbows today. Well, a guy came, fixed her house. I don't know, like a plumber. And, and on the way out, he said, you know, on the way over here, I saw a beautiful rainbow. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he said, I don't even know why I told you that. <laughs> and he walks away and gets in his truck. Um, but so say, watch for signs and watch yes, for other people yeah. bringing them. Yeah. Well, Neil, thank you so much for calling in and uh, look for those signs and, uh, and have uh, a and wonderful tell Thanksgiving. Stories. Yeah, so everybody smiles with thank their memories. You. All right. Well, that, that's uh, uh, something uh, for all of our audience out there to uh, think about is I love that idea of the empty chair. We actually did that, didn't we, Heidi, for Scott? Yes, and put his pictures in it and all that, and it was wonderful. And even through the house. I mean, I have mm-hmm. what I call sanctuaries in the house. Of Like I painted a portrait of my parents. They've died, but it's in the front hall, so they're a part of my life. If I'm having a bad day, guess who's looking at me? And right. I think, oh, I don't want them to, you know, I'll cheer up. <laughs> you know, I, w- I was thinking of talking to somebody recently, though, whose daughter was an artist, and mm. uh, they have a hundred of her pictures in their house, yeah. to the point where wow. the sibling uh, doesn't want to come home and study from college. Mm. He said it's very distracting, he can't handle it. So well, what about people that go overboard, Bernie? More his, yeah, it, it, but, you know, it, I, I'd say, I don't know whose problem it is, you know, in the sense of, too many versus his discomfort. Uh, I think they all have things and issues to deal with. One other thing that happened that was kind of mystical, uh, there was a story in which a woman lost a child and was in China, and, and she wrote her doctor saying, I thought of you when this happened, because 
there was a plaque on the wall, and I don't know what it said, so I asked people to translate it for me. And they said, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. And she said, I immediately Uh thought, all right, I'm going to have another child. And I thought of you and all that you did for me. The doctor took several months off because it made him look at his life differently. But we're cleaning out my mother's house. She's lived there for decades. I go into the den and hanging on the wall, something I have never seen in 30 years. I don't know how it got there. There's a Chinese plaque with the words in English under it. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. You know, like a bronze plaque. Right. That's in my kitchen. So when I walk out of the kitchen, yep, there's Mama saying, hey, kid, lighten up. You know? Wow. Well, I've got something in my office, and I'm a clinical psychologist. Mm. It's, an, it's what Andy Warhol said, and he said, be happy about nothing. That's right. Be grateful. <laughs> I That's love why. That. Thank you for everything. <laughs> I have no complaint whatsoever. Well, you know, and if you're grateful for life, for the opportunity, then you have a different life. And it's good to hear you, NMD, say, with your credentials and background, that seeing signs is, is a normal, wonderful thing because some people think, am I going crazy? Is this strange? Because you hear people no. that see butterflies oh, and it, dragonflies and all sorts of signs. I mean, a big then, part of it has to do with the lack of our education, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to mention that, too. See, as physicians, we're, we're not trained to deal with loss and death. I mean it. Uh, we're, yeah, you're there to help people and make them better. And, and most people die in the hospital in the middle of the night so they don't upset their family, and the doctor's not there to, you know, to stop them. Right. And they don't even use the word dead in the hospital. You know, we pass, fail, lost. You say, I mean, I asked uh, someone if a friend of mine died. This is in the hospital. His bed was empty. I said, Alan died last night. They said, no, he bradied. <laughs> now, that one you don't know, but the, the name of the morgue at Yale is the Brady Building. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, he Brady. How, yeah, how sick these people are. They can't even say he died. And, and something I do at my workshops and lectures, I'll often say, here's a letter I got. And it's a letter consoling me about the death of a loved one. And I say, who wrote it? A doctor or a veterinarian? And guess who everybody votes for? A veterinarian. And they're right. <laughs> I got this compassionate letter when one of our pets died. Wow. And, and uh, my mother did drive a lot of doctors crazy because I was her son. So <laughs> I was impressed that three doctors called me when she died to say what a wonderful lady she was. But how many of you have ever heard from a doctor mm-hmm. when your family member died? Or, at, or that the doctor showed up at the funeral? Actually, my pediatrician did. Mm-hmm. Came to Scott's funeral. I was amazed. Yeah. And his partner. Right. They came and went went through it, the line. It is amazing because it's, it's so unusual. I mean, the, usually you don't hear of that. And right. it's so important for people when it happens. It, like you said, Mom, you remembered. You know, um, I... It's, it's painful. You yeah, know, I used to... If I get to know you and you die... I'm going to get more upset. Right, and how many people can I do this with? You know, I worked at the University of Rochester Medical Center on uh, um, a liaison team there that George Engel started. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. we used to work with the cancer patients, and you know that cancer doctors were the worst at deserting their patients? Yeah. Which I always found fascinating. You know, see, part of that has to do also with why are you an oncologist? if you know what I mean, there are unhealthy reasons for choosing medicine and oncology. Um, and those things aren't analyzed either. Mm-hmm. So you, let me give an example so people understand. If I have destructive tendencies, say, and I become a surgeon as a reaction formation to my destructive tendencies, 
I'm not going to be a healthy surgeon. In other right. words, I'm enjoying cutting people up. Cause that, do you remember John Romano wrote and something about that? And what if you that? become yeah. an oncologist because you need to fail? You know, things that you can't cure, can't fix. Right. So, you know, or look at, uh, what's his name, Kevorkian, you know, overwhelmed with death and, and how he thinks I can control death. I'll become a pathologist. I'll help people die. Uh, yeah, I think if somebody had really sat down with him in medical school, he could have been a lot healthier. Because I have to add, I've helped people die, but I don't help kill them, if you know what I mean. I help them complete their life, straighten things out with their family, and I've seen all these things. You see, the other part is, uh, oh, I always forget her name down in Florida, you know, where it went into court, can I stop feeding my wife, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've had people like this where hospices and lawyers say, you can't pull the tube, it's uh, murder. Um, but where I have said to these people who are in a coma for years, and the family says, you know, there's no point in their going on. I've said to them, your family loves you, your love will stay with them, if you need to go, it's okay. And mm-hmm. 15 minutes later, this lady died. See? Right. It, right. It's, again, she had permission. She's not, you know, letting her family down. Yeah, well, my dad, when he was dying, and my, my daughter told me that I better, Heidi's sister said, you better come back and see him. I lived a thousand miles away because he thinks I'm you. So I flew in, was there for, spent the evening with him. The next morning, my mother and I went over to the hospital, and I said, it's okay, you can go now, and he died. Mm-hmm. I have to, you see, so that people know it's okay to say that. I've also had people come out of a coma, open their eyes, and say, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, and, and then the family can go home and, you know, relax and know right. that this is a person's choice. There's a story in which a child is willing to give his life to save someone else, and his parents have to agree. And I say to people, what do you think he said to his parents? And these are the words from that story. Um, Consider this, sooner or later my body will perish at any rate, but if it perishes without love, which the wise declare is the only thing of permanence of what use would have been. And I can really say to people, if you want to be immortal, love somebody, mm-hmm. because you'll get this, the bridge of San Luis Rey, where a bridge collapses and people die, ends with, uh, and we ourselves shall be loved for a while and forgotten, but the love will have been enough. All those impulses of love return to the love that made them. Even memory is not necessary for love. There's a land of the living and the land of the dying, and the bridge is love, the only survival, the only meaning. And one more book I will recommend to people, The Human Comedy by William Soroyan. One of his quotes is, The best part of a good man stays forever, for love is immortal and makes all things immortal, while hate dies every minute. And, you know, that, that's a story that almost fits life today, except it happened back in World War II, you know, where you lose a child in the war and an accident and different things happen. But uh, as I say, the only part that remains immortal is the love. Is love. Wonderful. Well, we've got a call in from Beverly. Hi, Beverly. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks. Did you have a question for Dr. Siegel? Yeah, my husband died five years ago, and every year during the holidays, I feel like I get sick. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas of ways to prevent it. I feel like I'm ready now. I don't need to get sick during the holidays just because I miss him so much. Well, some of it is reprogramming yourself. Visualize the holidays and you're not getting sick. See, if you said to me, I'm having surgery next week, what can I do? I'd say, picture yourself going to the hospital, having the operation, waking up, feeling wonderful and hungry and going home the next day. And your body doesn't know that you haven't had the surgery, if you know what I mean. You're, You're training yourself. 
the way an athlete would, by picturing themselves performing. So I'd say change the picture. See, what you've experienced every year is, oh, here comes a holiday, I'm getting sick. And it becomes hypnotic because you have lived that. So I'd say start visualizing the opposite. Here's the holiday. I've had a wonderful time and a wonderful experience, and good things have happened. And picture that three, four, five times a day. Every time you get a few minutes, just think of it. And you can change your body's experience. So when the holiday comes, your body is now saying, oh, hey, we've had wonderful holidays. Let's have another one. See, your body, this is a line from a poem by John Updike. Our body loves us. It does. You cut yourself, it heals. But you have to let your body know that you love life and love it. And when you change that message, your body will respond differently. But if the message is, I'm not enjoying life and holidays are terrible, yeah, your body is really saying, gee, I'll try to get you out of as many holidays as I can. You see, maybe we can die quickly and you won't have to go through any more holidays. And that's part of why you begin to feel sick. It's the chemical, in a sense, changes uh, that go on in your body. I mean, when I say chemical, it's the various hormones, uh, immune function, all these things that are changing. Mm, I love that. Training yourself the way an athlete would and visualize being well. You really can change. And you talk about that in your book, about being an athlete. The 101 Exercises for the Soul is a great book for for looking at those. If I put you in a comedy during the holiday, you know, like let's say I take a script from I Love Lucy and I say you got to do this every day and you're Lucy, you change your body chemistry. We know this by drawing blood while people are performing. So immune function increases, stress hormone levels go down. Then if I said to you, now I'm putting you in a tragedy, yeah, you'd be even worse than you are normally because even though you're only acting, your body has changed. Your body doesn't know the difference, does it? That's right. And that's why, you know, a lot of actors in the middle of the winter, you know, it's the death of a salesman, they drop out with the flu and can't keep performing. But if you're doing a Mel Brooks thing, you know, you don't have any trouble getting through the winter, you know, in in the producers, uh, because you're having a wonderful time on stage and everybody's laughing. So act as if. And, you know, it relates back to, I call it being born again. Uh, There are a lot of ways... of of rephrasing it, but act as if you're the person you want to be. Create the person you want to be by acting as if you're that person. And don't get critical of yourself. In other words, if this holiday you say, gee, I still got sick even though I do what Dr. Siegel... I mean, stop criticizing yourself. You're a work in progress. If it was a little better, good. Next holiday, we can be even a little better than that. And uh, because most of us grow up with so much guilt, shame, and blame, every time you try to do something, oh, I did it wrong again. Um, no, it's I'm rehearsing and I'm practicing. So you're a work in progress, Beverly. Right. Well, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Thanks, Beverly. Well, Bernie, I've got a story for you that I think is connected with this. I want to make it short, but I'm at a dinner with a guy, with a man, and a waiter comes up, and he's a terrible waiter. And he, uh, and the guy says to him in a few minutes, he comes back, the waiter comes back, and he says, what do you do for a living? And the waiter says, I'm an actor. And the guy says, it was my husband said, well, then act like a waiter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So his body can change. Yes, absolutely. See, if you enjoy people, it really doesn't matter what, you know, where you're performing, if you know what I mean. But in every profession, I find those 
who don't like their profession are complaining about the people. Right. I, mean, I had a veterinarian say to me, people bring the pets in. You know, <laughs> yes, you're right. I mean, I meet doctors who say, I was fascinated by the human body, and then people show up in it. Um, you know, so, or, you know, the that winter, is a really yeah, good you've got to serve customers. And, and what I find is I try to keep the child in me alive. That's mm-hmm. what helps me. See, when a waiter comes over to the table and says to me, how's everything? My answer is, why are you upsetting me? I'm trying to eat dinner. If you looked in the paper, you listened to the news. I mean, why are you asking me a question like that when I'm trying to enjoy it? You know, and the first time you in the restaurant, they look at you like, oh, my God, he's crazy. You know, and they quickly back up. But, you know, when you come back, they realize he was kidding. And right. Then it brings the child out in them. Um, right. And I re- truthfully, I find it hard to not answer, you know, from my heart, when people say to me, how are you? I say, are you really ready for an honest answer? Because mm-hmm. I'm not into fine, good. Well, that's um, the Brooklyn in you, Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they look at you, but I, I really, oh, and, you, you, know, you know, we talked about the wounded. To everybody listening, if you don't believe this, go out and try it. My wife said to me one day, honey, you're not listening. I said, what do you mean? She said, you just say said something that you think is funny, they don't. And what I used to say, and still do, is when people say to me, how are you? So you're checking out the supermarket, they're being polite, how are you today, sir? And I would answer with a serious expression, I'm depressed, I've run out of my antidepressant, and my doctor's away on vacation, so I can't refill my prescription. 80% of people say, I know how you feel. Yeah. You get taken to lockers and offered their antidepressants. <laughs> the, the women in the line behind you open their pocketbooks and offer you theirs. I'm not kidding. It's <laughs> overwhelming. And how many kids are on it is amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you see, again, it's when you suddenly reveal your wound, mm-hmm. you know, in a serious way, because that's what my wife made me aware of. I'm smiling, thinking it's a joke, and uh, it isn't. And mm-hmm. then... But then also therapy and compassion happen. Because when I've said that to some people, you know, they, they'll say, let me help you. Let me finish checking out, and then we'll talk. Right. People are amazed yeah. at how they and come forward. as soon as they do that, I say, you've had a major loss or a life-threatening illness, haven't you? They say, yeah, how do you know that? I said, because you're showing compassion, so I know you've been wounded. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we go to break, I want to take our next phone call from uh, Irene. Are you there, Irene? I'm here. Hi. Welcome to the Hi, show. Hi, how are you? Good. Did you have a question for Bernie? I do have, but first of all, I want to say, Bernie, thank you so much for your work. I'm a retired RN, a kind of retired. Right. Um, your book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, gave us tools, holistic tools, when there really weren't any, and I don't even know how many copies of it I gave out to people who were told they were terminal. Um, it, it, it's you know, your work is wonderful. And Thank my question, you. And the nurses were my teachers, let me tell you. They really <laughs> were my well, support. Yeah, we all teach each other, don't we? Right. My question is Thanksgiving-ish. Uh, what do you say has been the most personally rewarding aspect of your work? Great question. You mm-hmm. Well, it's knowing that I've made a difference and helped people. So my life has has meaning. You know, when I get emails and 
from all over the world. I used to get letters, but, you know, um, I realized, wow, um, you know, somebody in Japan, I've been invited to Korea, uh, Italy, Spain, but it's, you know, that I've touched so many people and uh, and their lives. And again, I, I give them credit. What I mean is, I, I, if I get an email or a call saying, thank you, you saved my life, I say, no, I can't save it, only you can. So in a sense, I'd say it's, it's like being the coach of a winning team, if you know what I mean. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, and so you know you've helped so many people, and therefore your life is meaningful. And I have a belt buckle uh, that's, that says my name, Bernie. And a lot of times I go out and people say, hey, Bernie, hey. I say, oh, you know me. And they say, no, it's your belt buckle. I know you. <laughs> no, that's when my ego goes back down again. But, but, you know, I realize how many people I've touched, and that's the greatest gift of all. And I would say that we all have that capability because I learned, you know, in one of my meditations, I said, you know, I'm tired of traveling. How can I help people? And the answer was spread seeds like a flower. And I thought, thank you. And, you know, each of us, when we touch someone else, they become the seed and they can pass that, you know, meaningful action on again and that beauty. My guess is you have a wonderful flower garden growing everywhere. Well, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The one thought I had, we had one call in from a man, and I'd like to make that Uh point. Yeah, that it's very hard for the men to deal with feelings. Um, men are into doing. I mean, I know men who have committed suicide when they were told you can't work anymore. Mm-hmm. I always say I'd put that on my refrigerator to get my wife to give me a break, you know. <laughs> That's not a reason for me to die. I say, She's Honey, got you working, huh? You hear what the doctor said? Now <laughs> give me a break. Um, but, you know, so for the men out there, I'd say, please, don't store this up inside you. You're hurting yourself. And since the last call was from a nurse, what the nurses have a problem with, you're asked to do something you don't want to do. What do you answer? And most nurses say, well, I would do it. You know, they don't know, in a sense, when to stop nursing. But mm-hmm. you have to realize when you don't say no to what you don't want to do, you're saying no to yourself and your life. So to the nurses and everyone out there, I'd say when you're asked to do something and you don't feel right doing it, say no. Because you have to remember, otherwise you're giving up your life's time um, in an unhealthy way. So now, pay attention to your heart. And kind of your idea of staying empowered. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not that you're not being nice or, or helpful. Uh, I, again, I always say, I don't know who's going to die first. So if it feels like something I want to do out of love, I'll do it. And if it's something I don't want to do, I'll say no. Mm-hmm. That's an important thing. I mean, you know, people have been amazed when we talk to them about the fact that, you know, if you lost your child, um, you have the right to say no. You have the right to walk out of the room. Uh, you've lost a sibling, whatever. You you can't be in this conference room or this meeting because or you... Go to, or go to things. Go to yeah. graduations, et cetera, right. things that you don't... You know, weddings, it, if you don't want to go. I'm glad you said that word, graduation. You're finished with school. What is the graduation called? Commencement. Yeah. Now, where did they come up with that one? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go to your termination? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people have to realize life is about beginnings. Mm-hmm. It's constantly changing. It's about commencements. When you give a report in heaven, you 
finish it by saying the beginning, not the end. Because God says we have to start using the information and the change. So keep beginning. So in other words, when one chapter of your life is closed because of a death, another chapter is beginning. That's right. Life is a circle. The Bible ends in a revelation, not a conclusion. So, yeah. And somebody else, I don't know what I read, if you come to a fork in the road, take both forks. Because he said, life is a circle. Yeah, Harry Chapin, all my life's a circle, sunrise and sundown. Could you talk a little bit about your book, Betty's Candle, the one you just finished? I mean, I I wrote it because I see so much grief that people don't know how to deal with and and loss of loved ones. I mean, we have a lot of animals. You read the pet magazines, and everybody's in pain over, my cat died, my dog died. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your child died. I was just at a grief meeting uh, for people who have lost, you know, through miscarriage or in the first year of life or had a stillborn and, you know, talk there. And for me, it's learning from my pain, too. And the symbolism of the candle candle was that I worked with the angel of death because my mother has a lot of connections. That's why I've gotten jobs in heaven. But, (laughs) you see, you work with the angel of death, and I operate on a lot of children. And you walk into a room, and there's a child lying in the bed, and the angel of death is at the foot of the bed. That means Mm -hmm. the child's going to die. And I always say to people, what would you do? And what I did was turn the bed around. And the angel said, you don't have any idea what you're doing, Siegel. But it's the first time you've ever, you know, acted up like this. Because the angel had said to me, I'm at the foot of the bed, then console the family and prepare them. I'm at the head of the bed, you know, you can take credit for being a wonderful doctor. And, but with this child, I couldn't take it. And you see, I'm questioning, you know, God, why do you give children cancer? Why do these things happen? And, you know, God's answer is, the perfect world is not creation. It's a magic trick that we're here to live and learn and show compassion to each other. But, and I think the day that human beings are capable of truly loving, the world will become perfect and we'll be able to handle it. But mm-hmm. until we are, we'd go nuts if this was a perfect world. I mean that. In two weeks, we'd all be complaining about the weather and everything's fine and I, I don't know what to do with myself. We'd be bored. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I was talking to a fireman about it one day and he's like, you know, I don't know why people die in fires. And I said, do you like your job? And he said, I love it. I said, you wouldn't have a job. Right. You know. <laughs> yes. But it's, again, his way, if it's his way of contributing to the, his love to the world, and right. caring, then mm-hmm. it's meaningful. But anyway, the angel said to me, come on, I'm going to take you up to heaven. And that's where, you know, something I mentioned earlier, he said, all the children who died this month are in a parade. And I said to him, there's a kid coming with a dark candle. The angel said, fine, go light it. And when I went up, it was the child I had operated on who had died. Mm. And I said, Tony, your candle's out. I'm going to light it for you. And he said, Dr. Siegel, they do, but your tears keep putting it out. Mm. And, And really, when that happened, I just realized, okay, let go of the black, come back to life. And then the angel said, I have one more thing to show you, that those candles that you saw in the parade burn eternally, but when someone is ready to begin a new life, they put the candle in this room. And he showed me this room with millions of candles. And I said, oh, the big tall ones are young people and the little ones are old people? He said, no, some of the little ones are young people and some of the tall ones are old people. Do you want to see your candle? No, thank you. And I mean that. I don't want to see my candle. I will Mm -hmm. live my life to its fullest. 
but I don't want to know what day I'm going to die. But I think that's what we have to understand, that we're all born, in a sense, with a certain you know, number of inches to our candle, certain number of heartbeats, and that's the program. And uh, our job, I always say, is to burn up completely. Don't burn out ahead of time so that you live your life. Because Monday morning, literally, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So find a wow. life that you can love, um, especially one that may make you lose track of time. I think that's the healthiest state you can be in. Or as one of our kids said, because I, I said to a group of people, if you had 15 minutes to live, what would you do? And I didn't like some of the answers I heard. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when our son said, I buy a quart of chocolate ice cream and eat it, I said, you're enlightened. I don't have to worry about you. <laughs> but you know, the other people said, wait a minute. What if what I told you is my chocolate ice cream? And that enlightened me, you know, to understand mm-hmm. that we may each have a different chocolate ice cream. So what you tell me you want to do, I may say I don't want to do, but that doesn't mean you're not loving doing it. And and that's the part I think people have to look for. Look for your chocolate ice cream. Live your life to its fullest. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show this Thanksgiving, My Bernie. Pleasure. It's been wonderful having you on. And um, have you have a nice Thanksgiving yourself. Thank you. Thanks, Bernie. Bless you both. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.